Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. I am joined by Michael Burtnick from the Yukon. How are you, Michael? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you joining. I know you got life busy on the homestead up north. You know, glad you found some time to chat with us. Really looking forward to hearing all about, uh, you know, your move up north and and how things are going for you and your first race season up there. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little about how you got started with dog mushing? How I got started? Oh, that could be a really long story or or a really, really long story, maybe. But uh, I think, you know, growing up, we had some, we had a, we had a husky, we had a Siberian, and we always kind of liked that, uh, that idea of a sled dog. And in our minds at the time, that's kind of what a sled dog was. You know, fast forward a, a few years, um, I think what really got me into the idea of, of mushing was actually uh, a documentary I watched on, on Discovery. I think it was in 08, or maybe it was the 07, uh, I did a rod. They had a documentary that they put together. It was kind of, you know, the Lance Mackey, uh, Jeff King uh, duel there. And uh, and I just thought that was fantastic. And, you know, being out there against the elements uh, with your, your best buddies. And it's like, I want to, I want to try this. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, it started with one dog and, you know, skajoring and stuff like that and it turned into a kick sled and a couple dogs and that really picked up momentum and before i knew it um well we're at 24 right now and uh i don't want to say end counting because we're trying to keep numbers reasonable but uh it definitely is a, a very addictive thing so yeah and i th- i think it it's part of that challenge of finding what number works for you, what your plans are with racing and, and what you can manage and, and what fits into the rest of your life, of course. I believe you spent some time with Aaron Peck as well, learning from him. Uh, can you tell us a little about your time there? Yeah, actually, uh, the intention never was was to race. I think racing was just kind of a, a natural progression that happened. It, it started with me going uh, winter camping and finding ways to, to exercise the dogs. Um, and that was kind of my thing. Uh, you know, I liked, liked fishing and we'd go out to uh, get a dog team and load all the gear into a big toboggan and, and haul out onto the lake a few miles and, you know, put some holes in and go fish for the afternoon and, and run back, that sort of thing. But uh, I think when I started getting interested in um, – in bigger teams, that's when I started needing to, to seek out a little bit more expertise because uh, I think I went the, the non-traditional route and I was very self-taught, um, you know, from, you know, making my own harnesses and lines and, and sleds and everything to, uh, you know, as compared to somebody who would maybe get like a handler position. But, uh, you know, you start going through the, the list of a professional distance mushers and uh they're kind of few and far between in in canada so uh aaron was one of the, the closest ones to me is living in in manitoba still so i thought hey um reach out and, and see, see if he was receptive to the idea and you know he, he was he thought that would be you know kind of a uh, a neat experience uh, for for both of us. He needed some help. He needed somebody to do some scooping and run some dogs. And it was a good opportunity for me to to learn how to handle with a, a bigger team. So um, it was a it's a bit of a short stay. I think um, can't remember exactly how long I was there, but it, it wasn't quite the the season. Um, 
you know, I ended up having to, to come home before he really got heavy into racing that year. Um, just kind of taking care of life on, on the farm. Uh, I'd left my, my wife there managing uh, the homestead and uh, probably wasn't, uh, it was very supportive of her to let me chase that dream. Um, but I probably left her there a little bit too long and there was a few things piling up for, for me when I got back. So, um, so yeah, you know, it was a really good experience with, uh, with Aaron. Uh, the big thing was, was probably just getting comfortable with, with big teams, you know, spent a lot of time with dogs and a lot of different dogs. Uh, but I think, you know, the first couple of days I was there, you know, I ran a team with a 22, which just, you know, blew my mind. You know, I never ran that many dogs at once before. So that was a, a pretty cool thing. And, you know, he's got uh, quite a few years of experience there too. So um, it's a good learning opportunity. Yeah. Is there a particular lesson that you, that sticks with you from, from your time there? Yeah. You know what? I think uh, a big part of it was not so much, you know, learning how to harness up a dog or, you know, uh, leader training or anything like, like that. That's stuff I'd already been doing for, for quite a number of years. It was really just getting comfortable with the idea of running large, large teams. Like, I think up until that point, you know, maybe I'd been running six, seven dogs at a time kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going out with, yeah, like I said, like a 20 dog team and, uh, you know, with, with supervision, uh, obviously expert supervision, we call it. Um, but you kind of, you know, it built me up, uh, built up that confidence that, uh, you know, um, as long as you are, you know, being that, that lead dog, uh, they're, they're going to look to you and, you know, you lead them with confidence and, it's probably going to go all right. And, you know, something does go off the rails, stay calm and handle that situation. Yeah. Well, that's good advice for everybody. Uh, what year were you there with Aaron? Um, I think that was in 2018, I think, or 2019. I can't remember now. Um, we'd actually met uh, a year prior to me going up there um, at the, the Canadian challenge I'd reached out to him. I, I picked up a few dogs from him. Um, and it was just one of those things that just gained momentum. And I think he must have known uh, <laughs> he kept those dogs and, that it was going to go somewhere, maybe down the road. So um, that's the, the addictive part of mushing, right? Um, so he's got some more dogs. And then, you know, lo and behold, it's not even a year later. And I was knocking at his door saying, hey, I think I want to come and, and run some dogs with you. So. So what was your first race or your first distance race? Yeah, like I'd done quite, uh, well, maybe not quite a few. I'd done several uh, small team races, uh, like going back to, you know, 2012. Uh, it was probably one of my first races, uh, just with a, with a two-dog uh, team. And uh, that was a lot of fun, just real short. Uh, I think it was a six-mile run or something like that fun run fun club um in uh coming out of winnipeg there in, in manitoba um but i kind of fell away from that and didn't do that for a long time i was just really into spending time with the dogs out uh, in the bush it was kind of my fun thing um but then once i learned the big teams i think um i think the challenge was the first larger team race i did uh that eight dog uh, 50 mile stage uh, that you guys have and it was fantastic it was a great uh, first race experience uh, 50 miles from Larange to Mississippi and 50 miles back the next day uh, it was a ton of fun and uh, the community let me tell you it's, I probably couldn't have picked a better first race because uh, everybody was just so happy uh, you know to welcome a new face and so helpful and um yeah, the vet team. I think we were chatting about that earlier. Just such fond memories of that. It was, it was great. Yeah, that would have been in uh, February of '22 uh, when you were there for that one. So your first race at the challenge was my first year volunteering, and so it was all new for me as well. And I agree, the community was great in, you know, supporting new people, wanting to 
to teach new people and introduce them to this awesome sport. So I'm glad that you got that sort of experience as well. Um, and it's a real family feel for sure. And uh, I think I could probably blame you a little bit, um, you and the organization there, because I might not have been so hooked if it wasn't so friendly. Yeah, well, we really focus on trying to make it a welcoming place and, and somewhere that people want to keep coming back to, even if the trail is similar or similar sections, right? You got to make it so it's uh, something people want to keep coming back to. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the the mentality from us here on in part of the organization, uh, which is great to hear that that's the impression people get too. You know, we've had similar feedback from others, which is always nice to hear. Um, so after you finished with the Canadian challenge, you stuck around here in Saskatchewan and ran the Torch River run. That was in early March, uh, of that year. How did that go for you? Uh, that one was a little less successful for us, I think. <laughs> uh, that, that first year, um, I really, um, my training was maybe a little bit too planned out. And I think that was a bit of a learning curve uh, with the larger teams um, because I had my training runs uh, down on a spreadsheet from, you know, mid-August right up until March, exactly how many miles and, you know, where I was going to go and things like that because I'm a big-time planner. And then I kind of found out that, you know, um, Mother Nature and, you know, work, personal life aside, um, there's this dog factor and their unique personalities and capabilities and you know maybe you can't plan out every single run and you kind of have to start feeling them out so i think uh it was kind of interesting coming off the challenge uh it, it was challenging for us um especially that second day it was pretty warm but uh, i went back home and jumped right back into our our training schedule and I think uh, we overdid it a little bit and uh, we ended up going to, to that Torch River run uh, maybe a little more tired than we should have been um, and we might not have focused as much on on the fun runs as we should have um, so the dogs might have been a little bit played out but uh, that was a, a good good experience as well right because uh, anytime you can go out there um, with a bunch of other teams um, you always you always learn something. Even if you're going by yourself, you learn, you learn something every single run. So um, some lessons are a little harder than others, but uh, you know, it's still very very early in our learning how to train dogs. You know, myself and, and the dogs, right? So yeah, it, it was interesting. We went and uh, I hooked up with a buddy there, Leon. We went together, and that was that was kind of neat traveling with a, with another musher. Um, made the experience uh, it made the drive a lot more enjoyable that's for sure i think it was about uh about 12 or 13 hours that we had to go up there um but definitely worthwhile and i think uh, if we were a little bit closer i'd i'd be going back too yeah it's it's a nice uh it's a nice race here in in saskatchewan first weekend in march torch river run you can find them on facebook is uh, where they post most of their stuff um, so first weekend in March and it's a two day, 40 mile a day, eight dog race for those that are interested. Um, so after that, uh, race season, I believe it was what the summer of 22 or the around there that you decided to move to Yukon. Can you tell us a little about how you went about setting up your dog yard, you know, knowing what you did from having your own dog yard in Manitoba and spending time with Aaron Peck like, did you bring a lot of that into your design and your plan for your new yard up there in Yukon? Yeah, and, and to be totally honest, Dan, the yard is still under construction. Um, there's many phases of it, um, and a big part of that was when we came up here, uh, we were coming up to, to property, so it was very much blank slate, um, and we knew that it would be very overwhelming to take it all on at once. So there's been, you know, a few phases of the dog yard and, and we're not done yet, but, uh, we for sure learned stuff, um, you know, even, even just on our own from what we were doing when we were living in, in Manitoba and the inner lake there. So, um, the first dog yarding is, you know, addition upon addition. Um, and it seems like we were ever expanding. Um, 
So we definitely took that into consideration and we gave it a long, hard think about where do we want to be um, as a kennel? Uh, you know, where do we see ourselves going? And uh, I guess asking my wife for permission is, you know, can we do this? <laughs> Does this seem reasonable um, if, if this is the plan for racing and for doing tours and stuff? And once we figured out what we uh, what we wanted the kennel, uh, I guess, goals to be, um, the planning of the yard actually wasn't overly difficult. And a lot of that is probably just because I feel that we have lots of cumulative years of experience of fencing and, and just doing, you know, farm chores here that uh, building that the dog yard wasn't too bad. But um we did have a pretty nice setup when we got up. We went and we put up uh, about two acres uh, fenced-in yard right now. Um, and it's uh, it's a mixture of, of pens and, um, and a tether setup. But, um, you know, certain dogs do do better in, in different different setups. Not everybody's great on a tether. Not everybody's great in a pen. Um, but we have a, a mixture of both and, and a lot of space there uh, for the dogs to just be loose uh, within the, the safety of the of the yard. So free running is a little different here than it was in Manitoba. We have um, surprisingly moving up here to the Yukon, we somehow have closer neighbors than we did <laughs> when we were in Manitoba. But um, it's it's nice to know that we have that big big run to let dogs loose and not have to worry about them going over to check out the neighbor's place or something like that or or bother the horses or, or whatever happened so um one thing i really loved though when i was over at aaron's place and i've actually seen it at a lot of places that i've been you know before and since um is this alleyway so you had a great hookup alley where essentially you can let all the dogs loose in a slightly smaller but elongated pen where you'd set up your gang lines for your sled or, or your quad or whatever you're doing that day and hook everybody up within the confines of the fence, um, which is really nice when you're getting ready because everybody can be loose while you're harnessing and booting and stuff like that. But as well, when you come back, it's a great opportunity to drop everybody and be able to actually see how everybody's moving and how everybody is kind of reacting after after the training run. So uh, I thought that was a really great idea, and I would definitely and have definitely shared that with other people when they're setting up their yards because um, it's something that I didn't have before, and I, I don't know how I got along without it. So Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's more convenient to be able to just let them loose in that area and, and hook them up and, and let them go as, as you said, to, to be able to get a good look at them. So that it gives you a lot more chance to notice the little details, I think, um, because they're all kind of playing, but still in close quarters. So you're not looking across the yard to see, you know, Oh, is somebody dropping their shoulder or walking sunny, you know, they're, they're kind of right there, which is nice. Sounds like a great idea for anybody looking to modify or, or, uh, build a new yard as you guys have done. So what was your first season like, uh, up there? Uh, I know you did a few races up there. I don't know if you did those before I looked at them when you were in Manitoba, but I think you were at Caledonia to start that year. Yeah. And you know, Caledonia was actually one that we had signed up for in 22 and we weren't able to make it work. So, um, you know, between uh, my day job and just um, kind of the, the temperatures we were getting uh, in Manitoba at the time, it made it unfeasible for me to, to head out there. And that was a little bit disappointing. So it was kind of like a, an almost unfinished business for me to, to make sure that I got out there, <laughs> I got to race it. And that was, uh, that was our first distance race. Yeah, it was our first distance race last year. So um, it was good. We went down with uh, a couple other mushers local up here. So um, shout out to, to Connor uh, McMahon. We went and we drove down together. Um, and uh, we both raced the 200. And uh, he had another buddy up here, um, 
Nathaniel Hamlin, he went, he raced a hundred. So we all drove together, which was, it was nice because it's a bit of a haul, uh, from white horse down there. Um, I think it was about, you know, 18 hours or it should have been, but I think our drive was more like 26 because we went through just a brutal snowstorm on the way down and, uh, you know, like driving 35, 40 kilometers an hour kind of thing through the night. Um, and I felt like when we got there that we had, you know, gone through the grueling part of what racing should be. Um, and it was almost like a, uh, you know, whatever happens after this is, is going to be a cakewalk. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a, a really interesting race. Temperatures really warm. Uh, I think they got something like nine or ten inches of snow uh, the night before, so that was a bit of a slog for the dogs. And it was it was a lot colder up here when we left. It's maybe like minus twenty, minus twenty-five, and then when we go there, and that's like almost a thirty-degree temperature swing. So the dogs were pretty furry um, from the winter we'd been having. So. You know, kind of took a, an easy pace and, um, you know, lots of breaks, give them lots of opportunities to roll around and play in the snow. Um, but we were using it more like a, a training run than a race, I think, because uh, our big one last year was uh, the Quest 250. So um, we were keeping that in mind the entire time that we were running. We we're just trying to build them up and, and trying to peak them for, for that race, which was um, about three weeks after I think is what it was or maybe it was two weeks after um so it was kind of it was a nice progression for for the team so then you went back home and you said you ran the Yukon Quest 250 how did that race go yes uh awesome um it uh, didn't meet any of my expectations I think I had uh totally <laughs> built it up to, to something uh, completely different than it was. Um, and I mean that in the most positive way uh, possible. So uh, I was very worried running it. I've been a fan of Yukon Quest for a long time, followed that race for, you know, over 10 years. And uh, it just has this reputation of being this just absolutely brutal, grueling, freezing um, kind of race. And um, I think... I smiled the entire way from the time I left the starting sheet to the time I got to the finish line. Um, I just had so much fun in that race. And maybe part of it was just because I've been looking forward to it for so long. Um, I did a lot of digging before we even attempted, uh, you know, to sign up. I talked to a lot of people that have run it um, because I'm a planner and I want to make sure that we were prepared for it. Um, as you can imagine, you know, a fellow flatlander, it's a little intimidating uh, coming out to the BC or the Yukon. And, uh, you know, we're not running up hills, like we're running up mountains and stuff like that. So uh, it's a lot different than the training I've been doing prior to this. Um, but uh, I think, you know, we just had a really good, uh, you know, training season leading up to it. And the dogs were, you know, the best that I've ever seen them. Um, and, uh, you know, we came out of that, uh, we came in second uh, behind, um, you know, uh, Michelle Phillips' B team, um, her handler, uh, Anna, she was running the, the B team there, and they, they beat us, and, you know, hats off to them. They look fantastic. Um, and it just, you know, it was such an honor to even be out there, you know, with mushers of that caliber, dog teams of that caliber. I just thought that was, uh, that was something else. So definitely going to be doing that one again in the future. Nice. Well, it sounds like a really positive experience. Obviously, if you're willing to go back, that's always a good sign for for races that people go and have a good time and want to go back. Was there a particular section of that race or, or trail that, that really stands out to you? You know what? I, all new to me um, was this jumble ice concept. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I might, a lot of people have read about it or heard about it, but I don't think I could have ever done anything to prepare myself for it other than actually run that section of the trail. So the trail dips down um, onto the Yukon River, I guess just leading into um, leading into Carmack. So that's maybe you know 150 or 160 miles into the trail. Um, 
and we start we start getting into these sections of, of jumble ice, which um, for, for people who don't know, um, you know, with the force of that river and how cold it can be, how hot, cold, you get these thaws, and the ice will break up and it'll pile up in, you know, uh, the these bends and these, these bows in the river, and some of this ice that kind of heats out and then refreezes, um, you know, it can be anywhere from the size of you know, uh, a soccer ball to the size of a, a Volkswagen. Like, it's really incredible <laughs> sight to see. Um, but you kind of jump into survival mode right away. And the, the awe and wonder of this, you know, uh, this sight uh, just vanishes because all of a sudden you hit your first piece of ice and it's like hitting a brick wall with a sled and you think, okay, no. We're slow down. We got to really pay attention. Got to get the dogs through here safely, and more importantly, uh, get the sled out of here in one piece. Because it's not like you know, maybe bouncing off a, a, a spruce tree or a poplar in the bush. It's it's very unforgiving. So um, that was a whole new experience for me. And uh, overall, I'm going to say it's very rewarding. So um, I've never you know bought. Uh, a sled. I've always built uh, my sleds, so um, you know my my purpose built race sled <laughs> that I put together that year um, just got absolutely thrashed in there, and it came out um, looking just as good as when I left. So uh, you know, aside from being really proud of my team, I was really proud of that sled. <laughs> Well, it's always good when you build something like that yourself, then obviously you know how it goes together and what it takes to fix and what yeah. extra parts you might want to take with you. I know nobody wants to spend time fixing their sled, but it sure beats the alternative of calling it a day and going home. So, what yeah, Absolutely, yeah. I want to talk a little about the dogs. Was there a dog that stood out or maybe exceeded expectations. I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you to pick your favorite one. Cause that's not fair. Um, was well, there one that sort of all 24 Dan. That's, I, th- that's what I figured. <laughs> um, so I like to ask it in the sense of, was there a dog that exceeded expectations or did better than you thought they were going to? Here, I'll kind of turn the question. I, I think, um, I think there was a group of dogs. So, we had a litter in 2020, and there's a litter of six. Um, you know, the, the mushroom community is fantastic uh, community because I don't think there's anybody that I've reached out to, um, you know, gave them a phone call or on Facebook or email or whatever, and nobody's ever, um, you know, nobody gives you the silent treatment. They're, they're always willing to chat and talk dogs and stuff like that, and they're very supportive. Um, but the, the general consensus was that, um, you know, maybe, maybe the caliber of the dogs wasn't like up to snuff for uh, my my ambition level and what I wanted to do for racing. Um, but I'll tell you, all six of those dogs from that litter, uh, from that 2020 litter, all six of them were on my team uh, for that Econ Quest 250 last year. And, um, you know, we've, since then, we've bought some, you know, I would call it a higher caliber dog from some like really well-established racing kennels. And not all those dogs, you know, uh, went the distance, uh, so to speak. And um, I think it might partly be, um, you know, the relationship you build, you know, raising these dogs right from pups. But those those six, like I tell you, I was so darn proud of them that they went right to the finish. And uh, not only did they get to the finish, but those were the six that were, you know, still banging in the harness and barking at the end of the race. So, um, yeah, I was, I was so proud of them. Uh, they did just fantastic. And it, it turns out all six of them lead. Um, and all six of them kind of had an opportunity to lead at one part or another uh, in that race, so that was really good. Excellent. So, did they? Um, are they still part of your team? I would assume, and and looking forward to them this year. Being whether it be three or maybe turning four this year. Yeah, I think they're really coming into their own. So we were. Um, I'm going to say we were conservative in the way that we ran last year, just because the majority of the dogs were still pretty young. And, 
overarching uh, experience needs to be positive for them. They need to to love being on the trail because I definitely don't want to be the one responsible for them, you know, falling out of love with something that they were they were born to do. Um, but uh, I think this year they're definitely not only they matured, uh, you know, physically, uh, but also mentally. Um, it's like night and day. They, I don't even recognize them sometimes. Uh, the decisions they're making out there, it's just so impressive. So they're really coming into their own. And I think all six of them will be will be racing. It's going to be, as of right now, they're, they're definitely on the team. Uh, the other dogs going to have to work pretty hard to, to bump somebody out of that roster. Yeah, it's always always interesting how well people do with, with puppies right from the start. You know, there's a lot of work involved in raising them and getting them, um, you know, on the team and understanding what they need to do. I think most of them pick up the, the process quickly. You know, they understand that they're going to pull and they like to run and that's why they do this. Um, but it's that, that bond with the musher that seems to be a common thread through everybody I talk to that that bond seems to be stronger with raising them from puppies and going through races and, and spending all the time that, that mushers do with them. So always good. Yeah, to by hear. no means is it easy work. Like you said, it's, <laughs> it's a lot, you know, right from, you know, day one and they're born, um, harness breaking and just, you know, gaining that trust and, and making sure you don't break it. Um, it, it is a lot of work, but I think it definitely pays off. And, uh, you know, genetics aside, um, it's, it's amazing what they'll do for you when you have that relationship. Um, cause I'm pretty sure I could ask them to run a thousand miles that weekend and, and they would have done it. Yeah. That's, that's exciting. And, and obviously shows that, you know, your, your process and, and the way that you have things set up at your place is, is working and conducive to, uh, you know, good quality dogs and getting them to love what they do. Right. You say this all the time. You can't, you can't force dogs to do this. The ones that don't want to don't do it. Um, and it's the ones that really show that passion to do it, to want to do it. that are the ones that are still ready to go again. They don't know that the race is over. They don't know that the trail has ended. They just want to keep going because that's what they love. So certainly a, a positive story, which we love to hear about. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, he- gonna be pretty cold to push that rope that's for sure yeah <laughs> not, not easy to push a rope that's for sure so that yeah. sort of leads us into uh this race season i know uh we're still pretty early in fall training um do you have a a plan for this year on on races you're planning to go to or thinking about i think this year is going to be pretty local um we would like to do uh, a bigger tour um but i think this year's probably not the year to do it just with our move up here last year was probably pretty ambitious um taking on uh the type of season we did last year and um you know so uh when we moved up here my wife and i and uh our daughter uh, audrey she was you know, six months old, uh, that in itself was ambitious. And then you add in, oh yeah, you got a dog team, you're training for some races and oh yeah, we got some horses, <laughs> some other animals here on the farm, um, and, and no house, right? So, um, we, we whipped together this, uh, you know, 200 something square foot dry cabin that we've been living in since May of, uh, 2022, I guess. So, um, and working on, on a proper house, um, but the priority is really on the house right now. So, um, it kind of squashed some of our, you know, travel far plans, but, uh, I think it's, it's going to set us up really well anyways, cause we've got some younger dogs, uh, that are going to be kind of trying to make their way into the ranks, uh, this season. Um, so maybe not, uh, put too much pressure on them and doing some, some shorter local races. Um, is, is probably going to be the ticket for us. So um, we haven't signed up for for the quest yet. I think it, it could be, uh, you know, something that's going to happen soon. Uh, but hopefully, we're going to be doing the signing up from from the new house, not from the cabin. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like it's uh, a lot of work you've been putting in out there uh, at the homestead and trying to get everything set up and with the. Uh young child and the rest on the, in the works, it's always, uh, always time, time is hard to find, I'm sure. 
So good to see that you're still still going and still looking at races. And and I see that you're also offering tours. How uh, is this? Did you do offer tours last year or is this coming season the first year? Uh, so we were doing a little bit um, in Manitoba already for, I guess, a couple of years before we left. We were working with um, uh, a resort on, on Heckle Island's Provincial Park, uh, not too far from where we were living. But we go there on the weekends and basically contract yourself out for Saturday, Sunday and get as many rides as we could. Um, and I, I really fell in love with it. It was the uh, community outreach aspect of it because um, there were so many people who just had no clue uh, about the dogs and what they did and how they lived and ate and, you know, just their their ambitious nature to and just this eagerness to, to run and to pull. Um, it just it blew people away. Like, even people who, who thought they knew about sled dogs, they, they'd leave and they'd say, like, wow, this was just something else. Um, and I really loved that, you know, and I just I wanted to build on that and share. Um, last year, I had to take a step back a little bit um, with us moving up here, and uh, we didn't actually start doing tours again until after we were done racing. So we started kind of like late February. And, um, I know, I think, uh, you know, it, it paid out about as much as the effort we put in. <laughs> uh, but we're going to put a little bit more effort in this year um we've developed some more you know partnerships with some some local agents as well as some uh down south um there's a lot of folks coming in to vancouver and coming up from vancouver um that want to experience this authentic northern dog sledding thing um and they just uh, they can't get enough of it so uh, we're actually at the point now where you know, we're talking about um, going to need to hire somebody to, to give me a hand and maybe even a, a second person, depending on, you know, group sizes, which is which is a good problem to have, <laughs> to be honest. And it, it's great work for the dogs, too, uh, because it's really good exposure um, to a lot of different people and it makes them really good in social situations. So, you know, it's something that you're never going to have to worry, you know, at the, the start of a race or something, that, you know, a uh, dog being a little bit too shy or something like that because they all just love people. Yeah, that's that's the fun part, right? Seeing people not just hear about how dogs are, but to see their reaction to, you know, the harness is coming out or the sled coming out or whatever it is that triggers them into being, you know, we know we're going to go for a run. And that level of excitement is, I think, contagious. And that's what most people that have that sort of experience, like you're talking about, that's, that's the part that they remember because it's so different from what the general population understands, you know, that these dogs love to do this. That's why they do it. You know, so. This is like the peak of, uh, animal performance. Uh, there's no other uh, creature on this planet that travels as fast, as far uh, as these uh, these Alaskan huskies. Uh, they're just they're phenomenal what they can do. And uh, you know, people start asking us about our races, and I say, oh, you know, we ran this Caledonia, this 200 miles. We ran uh, Yukon Quest 250, and then put it in kilometers, and I say, what? You ran how far? How long did that take? And like, did the dog sleep? Do you sleep? And it's just like, everything is just so foreign to them. Um, but uh, then they get to see it for real, right? They see this uh, this eagerness uh, for these dogs to work. And um, yeah, I just uh, hear so much good feedback from people. Um, especially there, there's some people that come with this preconceived notion of, uh, what the life is um and then they kind of they leave changed i think which is which is really nice i feel like i've done a good job when that happens well i think that's a there's a responsibility with each musher to help to correct that impression that some people have right i me personally i feel that mushers it's it's their job their responsibility to take a few minutes of their day Right. If they see somebody on, you know, along the trail or with their dogs or doing tours, that they take the time to educate people. And, and I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. Um, the one stat 
that sticks out to me. They did a study on it's the O2 max. So it's the maximum amount of oxygen that a body would be consuming or taking in to uh, while they're exercising. So I think it was they took the top NHL hockey players and they're at like 70 or 80, whatever the measurement is for it. Um, I think the highest ever recorded human is like 100. And they did a measurement of sled dogs and the max they've ever seen was 240. So we're talking about two and a half times, over two and a half times what the a human being is, the best human being is capable. It gives you an idea of how specific and you know customized these dogs are for this and they've been doing it for years and years and years right to to be able to to run and travel and that's how they got started and racing to me is about honoring that heritage that history that dogs have had all the way along and i tip my hat to you and everybody else that's doing tours and taking time to to educate people on it and giving them a glimpse of what this is like. So it's awesome that you're doing it. And I think it's wonderful that you're enjoying it. Uh, anybody looking for you, uh, keystone sled dogs.com is your website. Yeah. Do you we want to give a little promo? A little bit, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the website's falling a little bit the wayside here. Cause, uh, we're probably too busy actually doing, you know, dog stuff. We're not doing a lot of surfing on the web these days or, or web page building, but uh, we will have some updates uh, coming up there soon. I think uh, most of our updates, Dan, are probably coming on, on Facebook. Uh, and we were just chatting about that prior to this, and that's kind of, you know, our generation. I'm getting, I'm going to get the hang of the Instagram and the TikTok one day, but probably not, probably not today. So someday sure. soon. How how do people find you on Facebook? Is it Keystone Sled Dogs as well? It is, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anybody looking, uh, I'll make sure to include that uh, link for the website and um, Facebook page for Michael down below in the show notes for anybody wanting to do that. Uh, before we finish out, Michael, I want to give you a chance um, to thank people because this is not a sport, a hobby, a passion that anybody can really do on their own. It takes a, a team or a small village of people to make all this work. So anyone you want to thank um, that makes this possible for you? Yeah. First and foremost, uh, my wife, uh, obviously for, for dealing with me in this, this obsession, um, the dogs are very much so um, you know, my obsession. And she's very tolerant of that and, and supportive, not tolerant, she's very supportive of that. So um you know, the, the long train runs and things like that. There's, there's no, um, you know, half hearted commitment when it comes to, to the distance training. Um, it's, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of, you know, late nights, overnight stuff like that. So she's just really, uh, holding things down here. Um, as far as, you know, sponsors go and things like that. Um, obviously it's a very, uh, not only, you know, time intensive, but financially demanding thing to have, uh, bunch of dogs so we were we were lucky that we have a lot of um local support up here uh we've met some some really great uh people who support us uh, either through their business or um or through monetary donations so just to to call it a few um you know pierre lacasse lucky financial who's helped us out um uh the Irvine's, uh, Greg and Nancy, um they were kind of one of the reasons that we ended up in the yukon and uh they just I can't even count the ways that they've helped us out since we've been up here. Um, as well as, you know, we got some neighbors with uh, uh, Abattoir, uh, Schwartz family there, Tikini Valley Meats. Uh, they cut up all of our race snacks, things like that. Uh, without people like this, um, we definitely would not have been as successful as we were. And uh, we definitely wouldn't have had as much sleep as I did going into some of these races because um, getting to the start line sometimes is, is the hardest part. Yeah, well, it's great that uh, you're able to have that uh, support, not only from your your family, but from uh, businesses in the area and neighbors that are there. You know, it's it's such a, the dog sledding community, while we seem to be spread across vast distances, 
seems to be pretty small, pretty close knit and and helpful, which uh, I certainly love to to hear about and love to see. I just wondered if there was somebody, whether it was there or in your previous time that that you wanted to mention or wanted to thank, because I put you on the spot again, that uh, <laughs> that kind of helped you I get here. That. Yeah, I was going to say, I do need to give a shout out to some mentors. So definitely, you know, presently, uh, mentors slash competition, maybe, um, you know, it always great chatting with, uh, with Jesse Terry. He's been uh, a great guy to bounce ideas off of and just talk dogs as well as uh, Connor McMahon. Um, but uh, kind of going a, a little further back, I remember before we, we started building a bigger team uh, in the, the sprint racing community, um, there's a guy in St. Malo named Dave Hawkman. Um, I remember sitting down at a coffee table with him after we took you know, this team of sprint dogs out. And he says, so I'm going to give you the best piece of advice I can give you right now. And I know you're not going to listen, but I need to give it to you anyways. Look me straight in the eyes. He said, "The best thing you can do is not get into dogs." But <laughs> I know you're not going to listen, so here's what I can teach you. And uh, Dave was just so open with me about everything, and I learned so much from him in such a short time about, you know, nutrition, training, housing, just everything. Um, and he was a very pivotal. Um, person for me a great mentor uh when i was getting started so big shout out to dave um and a very successful sprint musher he's killing it. he's going down to that klondike uh, dog derby i think he's won it three years in a row now nobody can unseat him so um i think i, I got advertised for that one year too and say you know sprint mushrooms get out there and uh see if you can beat dave yeah that's there's another race that uh you know is relatively new from what I know and has had tremendous success in quality racing, competitive racing, and lots of attendance, not just from mushers, but fans and, and sponsors and everything else. So, uh, their con- first year, Dan, I think they had 20,000 people show up at the start line. It's phenomenal. The support they get. It's, it's really cool. I, I believe it's officially called the Klondike dog derby. You can find them online. Um, you know, I, I remember watching it uh, a little bit last year, and I think it was like nine out of the top 11 finishers or places were from Canada. So, you know, it's certainly a strong sprint presence down there from Canada, but definitely a lot of the, the U.S. mushers there as well. So it's a seems like a tremendous event in um, Minneapolis area, I believe. So um, anybody interested, go and, and check it out. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is just hearing you talk about the, the mentors that you've had. And and I, I look at it and go, I wonder, you know, somebody like Dave and go like, how many people do you think Dave has taught, mentored, helped all the way along? And those people now become mentors to, to new mushers and, and on down the line it goes. You know, the example I, I know about specifically from our podcast episode with Aaron um, Peck, right? He talked about his time with Martin Boozer, right? And and so, right, from Aaron learning from Martin, being up in Alaska, you know, being able to learn the Iditarod and do that, and then to to mentor the next people in Canada, yourself included, and on down the line. I mean, the list of mushers that come from these types of people has got to be tremendous. And I think it's fantastic that they do it. And I look forward to those that they have mentored, you know, the mentees now transitioning into being mentors for others. And uh, I hope that, that that's on your list of things to do in, in the future. Yeah, I think the community, uh, the survival of it, uh, it, it depends on it. So um, if this is going to continue and, folks are going to continue to to race and, and run dogs um you know be be open with your uh your neighbors there running their their dog team and um you know give that give that advice give that that help freely um because it's it's hard making it on your own that's for sure and uh at the end of the day it's all it's all for the dogs um so uh the, the better i can help somebody um 
the, the better off the dogs are anyways. So. And, yeah. and the better the sport is in, in the long run as well, right? We want people not only to do this sport and enjoy it and love it, like all of us do, but to be able to pass that along to others, to help others, to to teach others, to mentor, as you said, is uh, is a great thing. So, and part of the wonderful thing about this community. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Michael, really want to thank you for spending the time tonight. I know we've been at it for a while here, but I uh, appreciate the time. And I want to give a shout out here from the Canadian Challenge for uh, our main sponsors, Adventure Destinations, Thompson Resort in Mississippi a big part of our Canadian Challenge race this year coming up in February, as well as Baldwin Feeds and their perfectly raw line of dog food. They've been a big help to the race over the years and continue to be a big supporter. So really want to shout out to them as well. Um, from all of us here, thanks again, Michael. Looking forward to following along with your race plans this year and uh, hoping to see you uh, do well at the Yukon Quest again and uh, looking forward to following along. So thanks again. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Dan, and uh, we look forward to, to coming back your way too. So um, you're still you're still on the list. It wasn't a bucket list thing coming to the challenge. We definitely want to come back, um, and it's gonna it's gonna be in the works uh, probably for next year. I think. Well, we look forward to having you back, and uh, you know, seeing your dog team and how it's progressed, and and how your kennels progressed. It's always fun to watch that that progression over the years as as people, you know not always able to make it back every year, which we understand. So looking forward to seeing you back. And uh, for those of, of you on the, on the podcast still listening, really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, if you'd like to subscribe to us here with Mushing Radio, a special thank you to Robert Forto, helping us along with our podcast adventure and getting this going for us and helping us along the way. Uh, from all of us here at Canadian Challenge and Canadian Challenge Tales, thanks again and goodbye. From First Paw Media, this is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media.